0: So I'm um, just going to sort of mechanically go through um, a an introduction to the book of Leviticus. Um, the theme of Leviticus can actually be found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, where the Lord says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I have separated you from the peoples so that you should be mine. Now, <clears throat> we shouldn't misunderstand that and think that the Lord is somehow telling us we should be perfect or that we're capable of being perfect. Uh, what he's saying is, he, it's, it's more, he's perfect, and so his effect upon us is going to be that he's going to be creating that holiness in us as we have the relationship with him. <clears throat> so very often, especially uh, you know, amongst those that are very religious as we look at the book of Leviticus there's the mindset that somehow by keeping all of these rules you're going to be acceptable to God you know the the mindset that uh, you know we see in a lot of what we call legalism today you know those that hold so fast to particular elements that you know the way they dress what they eat what they don't eat makes them more acceptable to God and it doesn't you know uh, that we'll deal with that a little more as we go along it's the idea of god in our relationship with him his holiness is being imparted to us and affecting us in that way so it deals with uh the worship of his israel it sacrifices the priesthood and the law so you commonly uh you know hear it talk about oh it's you know the levitical priesthood it does involve the priesthood, but it, it encompasses, as I said, the sacrifices, uh, the priesthood, and the law. The title Leviticus uh, you know, comes from the Levite priests, the tribe of Levi, although they're only mentioned once in the, the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 32 uh, mentions them, but other than that, we don't see a great deal of the tribe of Levi and, and the Levites mentioned here. Uh, the Hebrew title uh, simply means "and he called," which is right there in verse one. You know, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. So, you know, it's that idea of God calling and uh, beckoning to His people and drawing His people into uh, worship. Now, uh, Jesus confirms. For us in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, and then again in Mark chapter 1, verse 44, that Moses is the author of Leviticus. I mean, it's a known thing. We understand that. There are elements within the writing and the narrative that lead us to believe that. But of course, there are always the critics that think they know better than everybody else and want to say it was written by this person or that person or it's a compilation. Compiled by so and so. If Jesus tells us who wrote it, then there's really no need for us to argue beyond that point. And yet, you know, people think that there's some kind of necessity to be acting as though they're smarter than Jesus. So, you know, within this setting, we we know that the book was uh, written by Moses because of the words uh, of Jesus in Matthew chapter eight verse four, and then again, Mark chapter one verse forty four. This was The first book studied by a Jewish child, if they went to uh, what is referred to as the school of the book, so anywhere that they were studying uh, the Word of God, particularly uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, uh, this was going to be more than Genesis. You think that, you know, we think of that as in the beginning, so you would start there for uh the jews they they founded their belief system and their understanding with god in the book of leviticus so it was the first book that any child would uh study it's referred to about 40 times in the new testament so it has you know a substantial new testament foundation for us uh you know we often you know put it in the old testament and we want to leave it there uh, the New Testament, uh, each of the epistles, Jesus himself, uh, the book of Hebrews, we'll discuss a little more, makes a heavy reference to the book of Leviticus. So as far as us being Christians, we shouldn't relegate it to, oh, that's just an Old Testament study. It's something that very much pertains to our lives, uh, the life of believers, in symbol. So all of the sacrificial symbols and everything that's contained here, uh, it's very uh, you know important to us and useful to us as believers. Uh, there is extensive revelation concerning the character of God. Uh, that's commonly missed when studying the book of Leviticus. Uh, we find out a lot about his personality. We find out a lot about his thoughts. We find out a lot about his behaviors. So Leviticus gives us a greater, a much greater understanding of god than uh, you know a lot of the other books do Uh, you you think of the psalms and you know uh, things that we we get the heart and mind of god from and very often what we're really doing is understanding how a relationship with god affects people in those settings here in leviticus we get a clear view into god's intention he announces to us uh, what his motivations are and where he's coming from in uh, certain situations. So very important to understand the character of God, again, his holiness, love, and grace. You know, that is you know, not commonly thought of in the book of Leviticus. You know, we think of it as judgmental, harsh, legalistic. And in fact, if, if you, you know, sort of set those presuppositions aside and, and just study the book for what it's saying, you you understand that God is being gracious and forgiving and kind and seeking to pardon and forgive and to cover his people and their failures. So you very much see that love and grace that he has. There are strong lessons about the holy life God expects of his people uh, recorded in the book of Leviticus, and that's Old Testament or New Testament. And we shouldn't uh, misplace those things for other believers now many things in the new testament especially key concepts in the book of hebrews cannot be understood without leviticus you know we read through hebrews and all that's recorded there for us and it's very often you know looked at as just sort of a new testament premise and and really all of its foundation is found or all much of its foundation is found in the book of leviticus uh, that's your extra credit homework uh, to go home and this week read the entire book of Hebrews. Uh, you know, if you're thinking that's a daunting task, you don't have to take notes or break it all down. I really would encourage you to just read the book from beginning to end this week uh, because as we move through uh, the book of Leviticus, it's very much going to stand out in your mind of, oh, I read that in Hebrews, and oh, and now I understand why that that's portrayed that way in uh, the book of Hebrews. So the the two things couple together in a very effective way. Um, the sacrificial system should not be thought of as Israel's salvation. That's commonly misunderstood. Um, you know, and that's not just my take on it. Okay, we'll we'll see this as we move through. Uh, it, that is such a warped perspective that there are literally teachers within Christ- prominent teachers within Christianity today that are teaching the body of Christ that uh, Jews have a separate salvation than us. It's completely false. Uh, They were already saved by God. Do we understand that? They were delivered out of Egypt. Abraham was consecrated and set aside by God before the sacrifices. Okay, So before we have any of the priesthood established, God establishes salvation through grace, through faith. Abraham believes in what? It's accounted to him as righteousness. So so salvation never changes uh, throughout the process. Even uh, what's recorded in Leviticus, God doesn't intend any change. God doesn't present any change. What we see happening is the human race takes the word of God, warps, and distorts it until we end up thinking that somehow this is a source of salvation. Now, Uh, we'll talk about it as we move through these chapters, but he's showing them that, look, sin deserves death. And and that's going to be our death, your death, he's saying to the nation of Israel, unless something takes the place, substitutionary atonement. You know, the animal is given, the offering is made to the Lord. That will cover the the sin. Now, uh, in reading commentaries, uh, over this past week on this, <clears throat> I came across a few that uh, you know are saying that uh, the sacrifices provided forgiveness. And uh, I came across one in particular that strongly argues the point that uh, it's possible to achieve forgiveness through the sacrifices. and and they denounce the idea that it was just a covering. Okay, well, we'll talk about it in a moment. Hebrews clearly says that no offering made uh, in the Old Testament was capable of removing sin, that it functioned as a covering, and it wasn't until the blood of Jesus Christ that you had the removal of the sin. Okay, you know, everybody then wants to get in big philosophical debates about, well, how were they forgiven in the Old Testament? Uh, Through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they were forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. All of those sacrifices right, were symbolic of the sacrifice that was in Jesus. So if they come in the trueness of faith to God, obediently performing the Old Testament animal sacrifice or, or grain offering or whatever they did, then they're trusting in God's plan. Jesus arrives and fulfills all of those things. So in the end... It's Jesus Christ's sacrifice that even in the Old Testament was removing their sin by the covering that an animal offered. Is that confusing enough for you? So here, I'll try to confuse us some more as we move on. Um, So um, let's see. If uh, fellowship with God was disrupted uh, or they wanted to deepen their commitment to the covenant, then they could do so through the sacrifices that's uh, the offering that was uh, presented to them. Uh, in, the, in the first chapter, when you, you start there at verse 1, and I if you're uh, ready for this, I'm just going to skip over the top of a lot of things in order for us to gain a, a better understanding of the bigger view here. In chapter 1, if you read verse 1 again, it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak To the children of Israel and say to them, uh, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. If your offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, uh, let him uh, uh, offer a male without blemish. Uh, He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put on the head of the burnt offering. I put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So uh, this concept of placing their hand on the head is the the symbolic transfer of their guilt. Um, They they would come and later the practice developed where they would bring the offering and present it to the priest. They would place their hands on the head of the animal, and they would confess their sin. So they're transferring to the animal symbolically their guilt. And in that, their confession that this is why this animal has to die. Now, no matter how calloused we might be, uh, when an animal is literally in front of you dying for what you've done, that's gonna have an effect upon your heart. Uh, you know an animal losing its life for what you or I has done would would be a, a traumatic experience for us and that's God's intention not to be cruel to animals not to do something inhumane that we would understand I deserve this that, that, that should cause uh, the worshiper when they leave, to, to be guarded and try to protect against future occasions. I mean, if you've brought a lamb and it's been killed on your behalf, I mean, you're going to have, especially now, Now, even if you've you know worked on farms and you're sort of callous towards animals and you don't really have a big emotional, they're not like a pet, okay? So go the other direction with it. That animal has an intrinsic value to you. that's money. When you're making that sacrifice, that's a loss to you. You If only I had controlled myself. If only I had not failed in this area, I could have kept this thing. This, This would have been valuable to me, and now I have to watch it lose its life because of what I've done. So God's intention is to translate the gravity back to our mind, back to our heart, so that we then begin to function in control of ourselves. That's why it's so significant when we take communion together to be very reflective about what Jesus Christ gave for us. Uh, To consider this is body and blood of our Lord and King who sacrificed himself on my behalf. Uh, His continual offering. Now the burnt offering that's being referred to here in chapter 1 as we look at this, <clears throat> that's the idea of consecration, uh, that, that the whole of the offering is made to the Lord. He's the one that receives it. Uh, the, the, the worshiper doesn't get any portion for themselves. The priest doesn't get any portion for him. The whole thing is burned and consumed on behalf of the Lord. And, and so they could consecrate themselves by offering the animal. Uh, you know the usefulness of coming and saying this animal i want the whole thing uh, given up to the lord as it's burned up to him it's the idea of i would have offered myself but obviously i would be useless to the lord if, if that were the case give the animal it's burned up to the lord now you are obligated to give your whole self to the lord so it's a very significant offering that's made so if we move on down to verse 10, it says, If his offering is of the, of the flock, of the sheep, uh, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, they shall bring a male without blemish. So they didn't have to bring a bull, and they could bring uh, you know, a sheep or a goat in regard to this being a, a consecration offering, a burnt offering. In verse 14... And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. Uh, Significant in a few different ways. Uh, uh, First of all, that uh, the Lord knows some people don't have the financial capability of bringing a bull or even a sheep or a goat. Uh, But they could invest literally pennies, very small amounts of money and get birds and bring them in order to perform the sacrifice. The Lord reserves that opportunity for those that are very impoverished. So, uh, you know, within that, the priest would literally examine, you know, if someone came and they're well-to-do in the community and they're trying to offer birds, the priest could say, you have the capability of bringing you know, a sheep or, you know, a goat in here. You're you're trying to cheat the system. We're not going to allow for, you know, the poverty offering to be made by you. So God was, you know, making that possible for even people that couldn't necessarily afford uh, to bring something extravagant, to, you know, bring something smaller. Within that, we shouldn't think of it as a lesser offering, right? We see Jesus in the New Testament As he's witnessing people giving, and you have that great offering that's made, they blow the trumpet and they bring in the big jar filled with, you know, we might say pennies, and they pour all of this metal in, you know, and it it makes a big sound, and everybody's impressed with, wow, look at how much money they're giving. And then the widow comes in, and she just gives what is basically two cents, and nobody even notices, and Jesus points it out to the disciples, saying, that woman gave more than everyone else. Why? Because she gave 100%. Okay, you know the person who gives an extravagant gift, but it's a very small percentage. The Lord's not impressed by that. You know, listening to Joe Foch, he's pastor of Calvary Chapel in uh, Philadelphia, and there, Joe is saying, you know, some of you guys, and they literally do, some of you guys are making like $12 million a year. They're, they're literally working in D.C. or Philadelphia, and you know, they're, they're huge CEOs. He said, we don't want 10% of your income. We want half. <laughs> right, you know, say, I mean, you, you can't live on $6 million? Then what's your problem? Is, you know, I and mean, he's joking. You know, but the idea of, you know, the person that comes in and gives this small fraction it eclipses everyone else's gift, but for them, you know, it's one, two, five it's, percent. It's relatively, you know, meaningless. It, it, it isn't, you know, painful for them to give at all in that way. So, so here with this offering of the pigeons or the, the turtle doves, it's the idea. Uh, it isn't like, oh, you poor thing. Well, it, The Lord also understands that's a substantial gift for someone who's impoverished. For them to take that money and to go, you know, acquire a gift and bring it in and make the sacrifice to the Lord. You know, therein you understand the heart of God that he wants everyone to have the heart of worship. But within that, it's also, we say today, like no skin in the game. You got to invest. right? You know, the Lord is literally saying it does need to cost you. You, know, you do need to weigh this out. You do need to give. And it does need to be a thing That, you know, whatever position you're in in life, you're having to say, this is a serious commitment to the Lord. You know, like I say, the the person next to us might be giving great abundance. and It's harmless to them in their circumstances where we're giving something really small and meager. And yet we're digging deep in order for that uh, to take place. So the Lord wants us all uh, to be involved in this worship and also to invest in the process. Now, in chapter 2, as we uh, look at verse 1, it says, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, uh, so now we get into these grain offerings, his offering shall be of fine flour, and it shall pour, uh, he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense in it or on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, one of whom shall take from it, his handful, of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. The priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. So it's to go to the priesthood. It is most holy of offerings to the Lord made by fire. Now, If you're reading from your King James Version here, it says, you know, meat, not grain, but then it goes on to say of fine flour. So that was a common description of grain and flour that was made from grain was to refer to it as meat. Uh, So we shouldn't think of the offering as meat. It is specifically referring to grains, particularly fine flour. It was supposed to be offered uh, you know this sweet smell Uh, you have the frankincense in it but you also have that flour or grain Uh, it would very much smell like uh, bread yeah I don't don't know many smells that are as pleasant as that to come into uh, you know someplace where fresh baked bread is uh, you know being prepared you know frankincense so perfume and bread uh, you know, that would be a pleasant experience for anyone that was offering this. And as it says right there, it was to be a sweet smell to the Lord. This made provision for the priests. Uh, keep in mind that they don't have the wealth and the abundance that a lot of the rest of the nation of Israel has. They don't get the inheritance of the land and the property. In They do, but not in the same way. Uh, that the other tribes get it, where they have massive tracts of land and farms and they're able to sustain themselves. The priests, uh, they work and they have fields, and uh, but they, they serve the communities that they're in. And when they do, uh, the Lord here, this is part of the provision for them, that when people came and they make this offering, uh, then part of it provides for the priesthood. It, it seems, the way it's written, that that is part of why the Lord says, this is such a valuable gift because it sustains the priesthood so that they can sustain the people spiritually paul makes the you know a couple statements in the new testament you know regarding ministers and how you don't muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain and then later paul says you know is it a difficult thing that we should receive earthly things from you when we've provided you with spiritual things, you know, if the priests are, you know, giving this service for them to have a relationship with the Lord, it's fitting that they would be supported in the process. Now this also is an image of fellowship with God. The the person who comes makes their offering, the priest gets his portion and God gets his portion. So everybody's consuming of that grain. Uh, It's the same idea of eating a meal together. That's how it's uh, presented here uh, in this culture uh, that was most significant to get invited to someone's home and be there to share a meal with them was a great honor and and uh, it was thought of as everyone that was eating that meal meal together was becoming one uh, they were all one person so if you were a lowly person you know here are these people offering these sacrifices and worship if you were a lowly person being invited to the king's house, everyone who knew you would be astonished with the fact that you've been elevated to the level with the king. You've become one with him. Uh, Literally from that moment on, people in your community are going to have a different respect for you because you've been invited to the king's table. We are not only invited to the king's table, we are children of that king. We've been adopted into that family as New Testament believers. So, you know, very reflective of the relationship with God and and the way that he'll reach down into the humblest of circumstances and embrace those that belong to him, uh, making them at one with himself. In verse 11, uh, it continues there in chapter 2, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. So, uh, you know, when it was, uh, you know, an offering uh, that was for sin, uh, n- not just fellowship, uh, you shall not burn it with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in an offering made to the Lord by fire. Uh, New Testament image of uh, leaven and the way that uh, they've come to understand it as being equal to sin. You know, they, they at the Passover were to remove the leaven from their homes. Uh, they actually developed it into a game for the children where they would hide at least one small pouch of yeast somewhere in the home, and, and they would search for it. And it would be you know, under a chair, tucked in a corner, and everybody would go searching around, and they would eventually find it. And they would give the biblical lessons of how leaven is like sin and how if you introduce a small amount, it's going to spread through everything. Right? We hear the New Testament telling us, You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can't introduce sin into your life and not have it permeate everything. So if we're going to make an offering to the Lord in this way, there can't be any leaven mixed in with it. It needs to be pure. Honey also, uh, you know, nothing that would sweeten it. It needs to be strictly for the Lord. And also honey, uh, you know, has a certain uncleanness. Uh, to it, uh, just to get graphic about it. I mean, the bees are puking that up. So, uh, you know, filling each of those pods for it. So that's not something the Lord wants uh, made with his sacrifices. Just wanted to be as gross and as graphic as I could in that moment there. So um, now in chapter three, uh, right at the beginning, uh, verse one, uh, when his offering is a sacrifice uh, a peace offering if he offers it uh, of the herd uh, whether male or female he shall offer it without blemish before the lord so uh, it can't be uh, you know any damage to it god doesn't want your leftovers you know what i'm saying there's that old uh, joke that preachers uh, used to tell when i was growing up you know there's the farmer local farmer and uh you know the cow had uh, given birth to twins and uh, so the farmer announces to his wife you know made a decision Uh, we're going to give one of those calves uh, to the Lord uh, when you know it's old enough that's that's our offering to the Lord and uh, you know I know it's costly to our family but I want to give to the Lord in that way and you know several weeks later uh, the farmer comes in the house and and he's looking all somber, and the wife says, Well, what's wrong? Why are you so down? He said, Oh, it's really terrible, but the Lord's calf just died. You know, you know, you don't give to the Lord uh from the leftovers, from the dead, from that which has been maimed. And, and to this day, people still do that. You know, they 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 bring something that you know goodwill wouldn't even accept, but they want to make sure that the Lord gets it. You know, an odd sort of thing. Uh, so we want to make sure that what we're doing and what we're giving to the Lord is of our best, you know, without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, this again, the laying on of the hands. In uh, the New Testament, Paul tells the young pastors that he's uh, training up not to lay hands upon anyone too soon. The, uh, they must first be tested. Uh, he talks about how deacons should not be allowed to serve as deacons until they have first been tested. Uh, you want to see uh, the commitment, you want to see the service, you want to see that they're going to follow through. Uh, He specifically says of pastors that they shouldn't be a new convert. No novice should be uh, made a pastor, is what uh, Paul says, unless they would fall into the same snare as the devil, pride, Uh, that someone was in the world and they were quickly converted and thrust into being a pastor somewhere. Pride would be the temptation, right? Uh, Any of us that have walked with the Lord for a number of years no uh, there's a great death of our flesh that takes place over time there there is a humility that is sort of beaten into us or beaten out of us however you want to look at that the pride's beaten out and the humility's beaten in i, I mean you have to be broken in the process uh, you know so so this idea of the transferring you know laying hands upon paul is telling those young pastors in the New Testament you don't want to lay your hands on somebody too soon you know for a blessing because it could come back as curse if you're going to send them out your authority your position you know my you know pastorate laid upon somebody else and then they go out and quickly fail uh, that's that's a thing that you, you don't want to see defaming Christ in the process so here again that same idea of you know the transference of guilt upon the animal in 1st uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 19 we read but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he was offered on our behalf that that was the this old testament requirement for the sacrifice that it could it had to be without spot or blemish it could not have a birth defect, something that it was born with, that would cause it to be undesirable. Uh, and, and oh well, this one isn't something that we would want. We'll give that one to the Lord. Uh, couldn't have a, you know a blemish that had, as I said, occurred later. You know, it's been torn by an animal. It's been damaged. Uh, it, you know, it's suffered uh, some injury or illness along the way. The Lord wants you know a a healthy animal uh, to be given and offered uh, to to him again offerings of communion described here Uh, the priest eats of it the lord has his portion offered to him and the person who brought the offering would receive a portion back to themselves to take it home and consume with their family so everyone was uh, consuming this together a very significant Uh, mindset uh, in regard to what the Lord's will and desire is in regard to sacrifices. At the end of the chapter, uh, there in chapter 3, looking at verse 16, it says uh, that the Lord would get uh, all of the fat of an animal uh, that would be burned uh, to him. And when we're barbecuing and it smells so good, when you you can tell the neighbors are, you know uh, fired up the grill that's mostly the fat that you're smelling that's that's what smells so good when uh, we're cooking the lord specifically says that that's um, what he enjoys that it's a sweet smell uh, to him you know the lord wants these things all tied together uh, and I'll, I'll dwell on that again for just a second the fragrance of worship is something that the lord wanted to belong to him the incense that they burned had a very specific recipe, and they were not allowed to reproduce it other than for worship. Uh, the uh, anointing oil that the priests had poured over them—again, very similar recipe—and no one else could reproduce it. Uh, these offerings made, and the fire consuming the fat—you know—the whole place is going to smell like very uh, beautiful incense and perfume, and uh, barbecue you know God's into it he, he wants these things now, is he into barbecue? I think so you know I, I read it a lot here there's a lot of meat involved in all of this cooking i I, I endorse it because God endorses it but uh, you know there's another aspect to it uh, you know I just talking to a pastor friend of mine again this week about the different fragrances and the way they 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 can cause you to time travel. I mean, it's crazy the degree to which it will affect your whole person, your whole mind. You know, uh, I mean, I've shared with you many times before. If, if I, you know, get in a car and there is that smell of vinyl, just warm vinyl, faint hint of cigarettes, and I mean, you're in church and you're thinking, where's where this going? You know, faint hint of cigarettes and faint hint. Of like kerosene or heating oil, I'm instantly a child in my grandfather's car. You know he was a plumber and uh, you know older gentleman and uh, he he wouldn't smoke around us. I always heard Ralph smoke right and Ralph would smoke I, I only saw a cigarette in his hand I think two times in my entire life but that faint hint there that's my grandfather you know and I'm sure you have. And, you know, bad things, right? There there are certain bad smells that will transport you back to bad places. Uh, Here, this is all pleasant. All pleasant, fragrant, you know, smell. It's going to invoke hunger within them. It's going to cause them to want to eat, you know, fellowship, be with other believers, sing. You, know, you go to Acts where the church is being born, New Testament, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? In the gathering together of the saints, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. You know, all of that warm fellowship and food and, and being with and around one another and providing you know, to one another and receiving from one another. That's God's intention within worship. A great picture of celebration and feasting is what you're looking at here. God wants this ingrained in their minds. You, know, you come back into the city and you can smell the sacrifices occurring. Oh, there's the fragrance of, you know, the incense that's burning. It is going to trigger a whole bunch of things in their mind no matter where they are in the world. You know, these things are going to hint them back to God. So Uh, You know, they have these requirements. The Lord's going to receive the fat. That's what's going to be burned to Him as part of the fragrance. At the end of that chapter, it says, You shall eat uh, neither the fat nor the blood. So God is uh, putting that protection in place for them so that they aren't, uh, you know, consuming things that are unhealthy for them. Chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Lord uh, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, uh, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. And then we get a lot of description that follows there, but particularly focusing on sin. Uh, sin is taken from that idea of missing the mark. Uh, so uh, it, the, the uh, King James scholars uh, adopted and used the word sin uh, because it was the unintentional missing of the mark, and there was a game that had been developed. Uh, you know, It becomes archery where they're shooting at a target. Initially, it was a pole with a hoop on top of it, and the archers would shoot through the hoop at the top of the pole. And if they missed, then they would say, Ah, you've sinned, meaning you intended to shoot through uh, the uh, hoop, but you had unintentionally missed the mark. Uh, so it paints a picture for us uh, that there has been a target established and uh, that we are missing that target. We're missing the mark. Hence the term sin, simply to mean missing the mark. They, they uh, you know didn't intend to miss the mark is uh, what's being referred to there. So, you know, many of these uh, ideas that are presented here throughout uh, this this idea of sin are worthy of uh, looking at. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, it says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those things that we want to do, those things we want to hold to, but we, we miss the mark. We fully intend to do better as believers, but we don't. That's a sin. We're missing the mark is what's being described there. You know, the mark is perfection. That's what the Lord has set out for us. You can see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We can't achieve that. As much as we would like to try, as much as we would aim for that, in the end, we're not capable. Of uh, you know performing those things, even the simplest of things. Consider Matthew chapter five, verse fourteen: "You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden." We're supposed to bring this message and bring this uh, light to the world, and we fall short of that. You know those occasions where you know somebody actually sees our our own humanness, our true colors shining through, rather than Christ. That's falling short of the mark. Um, you know the offering as we said covering sin you know by transferring the guilt Uh, romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord we deserve the death that each one of these animals has received and the lord took upon himself uh, the the uh, payment for that sin so here if they've unintentionally sinned and they come and they present their offering, transfer the guilt to the animal and it's sacrificed on their behalf, the sin is covered. Once Christ comes, then the sin is removed. Um, continuing on in the chapter of 4, verse 13, it says, Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, uh, you think of the occasion with joshua uh, as they had come into the promised land and the lord had told them do not make any agreements with the people of this land and then they're tricked into doing it right Uh, so as a nation joshua had done it but as a nation and the leadership of the nation came and they make the decision to disobey god without the knowledge that they're disobeying god then there's a sacrifice that is required It's significant because so very often people want to act like, well, it's not a sin. There's nothing. I didn't intend to. No, it's still as grievous as if you had intended to. The the failure is as serious. In 22 uh, of chapter 4, it says, when a ruler has sinned. Uh, so uh, there's no exemption here right you can't just say oh well that's a rule for the common people or it's just for the priests or you know as a whole nation no you know all of these things can uh, occur on any level group of leadership can unintentionally sin an individual can sin uh, you know the the high priest can sin you know intending to to meet god's requirements and hit the mark fallen short in the process it requires a sacrifice to clear that debt. Uh, 27 puts us into that category. Uh, 4 verse 27, if any one of you of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments. And then the requirement is given, uh, interestingly enough, a female is to be brought uh, without blemish. Uh, lots of commentary and thought on why it's a female rather than a male. Uh, We don't really have any explanation there. But the common uh, people have an opportunity to be made right with the Lord. You can see at the end of verse 31, So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be uh, forgiven him. So God very much wants to forgive and pardon. Now look at chapter 5 at verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter. If he does not tell it, he bears guilt. If, if you keep part of the truth back, it's a sin. You know, I didn't lie. Well, you didn't tell the whole truth. You didn't tell the whole truth. God makes it equal to lying right there. Okay, that's not my opinion. That's God's opinion right there on the matter. If you are covering it up by just keeping portion back, God is saying that's going to require sacrifice. Now think about that. If you kept part back and now an animal has to die because you just kept your mouth shut. The next time it comes around, you're going to be much more careful about hearing the oath taken or seeing the circumstance transpire or answering one questioned about it. It is a very serious thing. We hear all kinds of that going on in the world around us. If a person touches anything unclean, and the list is long there, right? mostly focus around the things that have died. Don't touch unclean animals. Don't touch uh, an animal that has died. Don't touch a human being that has died. It will make you unclean, and there's a sacrifice uh, that is... uh, required for it. In verse 4, if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by any oath, and he is unaware of it, then he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. Will you do this or that for me? Absolutely, I will do that for you. Then you find out what time and where and how much it's going to, and you go, oh, I'm not going to do that then you've failed in the circumstance. And the Lord is saying that there's a, re- there's a requirement that has to be paid as a result. This is, this is summarized in the New Testament by Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay? Which also means you need to ask the questions on the front end before you make the commitment. You know, Don't be a person that just always says, absolutely, count me in, write my name down, and then fades away from that commitment later. You know, investigate, slow down, understand what you're committing yourself to before you say yes. You know where that happens, you know, 51% of the time? Weddings. At the altar. Oh, I promise. And then not so much. Yeah, 51% of the time. I can't think of a more grave oath taken that people fail at. Very, very damaging, not only to the individual, but the family and the culture as a whole. Look at verse 11. But if he is not able to bring uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he who sins shall bring for his offering one tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. God, again, doesn't want anything mixed. With the offering, like Jesus Christ had no admixture to uh, his sacrifice. As far as the sweetness goes, that which makes it easier to take. Okay, right? We say a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Jesus was about to be offered up as a sacrifice, and they tried to give him a massive pain reliever. Right? Vinegar mixed with gall. When he tasted it and realized, oh, that's pain reliever, he refused it and he took the offering of sacrifice full force. No no sweetness involved. No sin and no sweetness involved in Jesus' sacrifice. He went to the cross experienced, He also needed the clarity of mind right, to say the seven things from the cross which directly correspond with the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out upon a God-hating world during the book of Revelation. He had the clarity of mind to follow through on all of that. So no no admixture within that. Now, uh, here at the end, uh, you can see again at verse 16 uh, that it says, and he shall make restitution for the harm he has done in regard to the holy things. So if he's taken from the Lord or he's Uh, not given of the sacrifice that he was supposed to, or if he's taken from others and it needs to be repaid to them, that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it to give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram, of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. Knew you were supposed to, didn't. Knew you were supposed to bring a certain offering and only brought a portion, or didn't bring it at all, and then it's found out that you knew, and now you're gonna bring it. You got to add twenty percent to that. You know, much better off to just give the whole thing in the first place. Okay, uh, you have supportive verse uh, later in the book of Leviticus, chapter twenty-seven, verse thirty-one. And if a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one fifth to it. Oh, I I can't give my tithes right now. I'll give it later. Oh, that's fine. You can keep it. When you do pay, you have to add 20% to it. I mean, that's worse than what the bank would offer you, right? I mean, you might as well go to the bank and get a loan and pay your Is is what the Lord is putting forward here. If we've made a commitment to the Lord and we're going to give to the Lord, follow through with it. Don't keep anything back. And I can tell you this right now, what you'll find in time is if you do hold it back for yourself, you end up paying the 20% one way or another through loss or however. M- much better to just cooperate with the Lord and-, and-, and give to him whatever you've committed to, Well, you know whatever that is. Uh, the commitment of heart is a very, very serious thing, and that's really what we're talking about here. So we want to make sure that the commitments we've made to the Lord are followed through with. So, introduction to the book of Leviticus in the first five chapters. How is that? Great. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. <clears throat> you can look at all the details of the offerings that are made uh, and how each one of them is supposed to transpire. But the theme uh, that is laid out here is exactly what we've described this morning. God wants to be with his people. And uh, he's already redeemed them. Right? He's already... redeemed abraham and he's already redeemed them as a people from the nation of uh, egypt and delivered them out of their bondage and now this is all about them maintaining their relationship with the lord so much easier to maintain our relationship with the lord today amen just just be with him just go to him just listen just open your heart and let him speak father We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your graciousness. I do pray that you would help us to get home safely, Lord, uh, the roads being as they are. I pray uh, that no one would have any difficulty uh, today. I just pray that it wouldn't even be freezing. That it would be clear and we'd be able to go home uh, without any thought or concern. Watch over us. Protect us. Guide us. Use us as your children until we're together again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.